Good morning. My name's Nicole Frankie. My husband was the tall, handsome one that was up here just a few minutes ago. Uh, we host a community group right here in the Garfield neighborhood on Monday nights at 6.30. So if you're looking for a group in this area, we would love to have you come join us. We're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may, be, may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we would not grow, grow weary. Lord, I just ask that you would just renew our strength, Father, and that we would spend our lives living for eternal things, that we would not run aimlessly, Lord, but we would keep our eyes on the prize and that we would run with your heart and with your power. I just ask you just to bless this service today, Father. We just love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Hope you had a joy-filled Christmas. If you're new with us, welcome. If you're not new, uh, welcome back. I hope you had a restful Christmas, a peaceful Christmas. I know we had a, a ton of fun last Sunday celebrating Christmas as a church family. And so if you missed it, uh, we had the kids up here singing, which is always fantastic. Uh, we even brought a few of them back if you were here for a sermon illustration. And let me just say, if you missed that, you missed a lot. And so ask somebody, ask a friend, ask me after the service. We can fill you in later. It was a, a fantastic time to celebrate the good news of Jesus. That's why we gather this morning is to celebrate the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here. And so we're, we're welcoming you here to do that with us. This morning we get a, a special treat, really two things, and you may not even know the first one. Uh, maybe you noticed, but you're, you're experiencing PBC Unplugged this morning. Uh, ASU Prep, the school we meet in, this school is renovating their stage, repairing their stage, and so we're not having a screen, as you might be able to tell, behind us. Uh, and so hopefully you knew the words. We don't have karaoke for you this morning. No words on the screen, uh, but hopefully you were able to sing along and sing some familiar songs to Jesus. And then the second special treat is that we have a, a guest preacher this morning, my friend, uh, Lee Stevenson. Lee is, uh, is a friend of mine and uh, also was my coach as uh, a new church planner in Phoenix. And so if you're new, we started a little bit over a year ago. And uh, as a new church, we need a lot of help, right? Navigating resources, finances, um, leadership development, just getting everything off the ground. And Lee was one of those people who came alongside me and came alongside you in a crucial time just to help us along, just to coach us up and, and tell us uh, what we can do better and, and where we might have blind spots and all those things. And Lee's been super helpful in that. And one of the reasons is because he's actually done this. And so he planted a church, Harvest Community Church in Mesa about five years ago. And um, so he, he gets it. He gets the the church plant uh, deal, and so much so that I told him, hey, Lee, no screen this Sunday, so no sermon slides. And he said, man, I get it. It's church planting, right? And so he, he gets it. He's been there. He's done that. Now Lee and his family live in Orlando, Florida, and he's the director of church planting for a network called Converge that we're actually involved in to see other churches planted. And so really thankful for Lee and his family. He's been married to his wife, Melissa, for 12 years. They have two little kids, and they're both with us 
this morning. And so would you guys welcome Lee as he comes and brings God's word to us this morning? Thanks, buddy. Well, I, uh, I appreciate the introduction, and uh, it's so good to be with you, Phoenix Bible Church. I, uh, I just have to say before I begin, um, I love your pastor. You, you guys have a great pastor, and uh, I just want to brag on him for a moment. As I've had the opportunity to walk next to him, to, to be a coach, a mentor, um, he's been an encouragement to me in my own life and in my own journey, but I can tell you this for sure with full assurance that Tim loves the Lord deeply. And uh, not only does he love the Lord deeply, he loves his family well, and he loves you guys. And uh, he's a great pastor, and uh, he will lead you well into the future. Um, I love being able to be with you and to be in a high school. Um, As Tim mentioned, we did the whole church planning thing and had a lot of fun with it. We've done movie theater church. I've done church in the high school. I, I totally get it when the, you know, the, the electric's not working or the AC's on in the wintertime or the heat's on during the summertime. I, I get it. We've, we've been there and uh, continue to, to, to press forward. Um, recently, we did make a transition, my family and I. We moved from Mesa over to Orlando, Florida. So we went dry heat to wet heat, and we're still adjusting to what that looks like for us. Um, but I have the wonderful privilege to be able to just connect with church planners around the nation. And uh, I I can tell you that God is doing a really unique work um, around our nation right now. And uh, there are a lot of great men leading some great churches and great movements of Christ in and around the nation, but also around the world. Um, Within Converge alone, um, we've been able to help start from scratch uh, 310 churches over the last six years in the United States and pressing forward to continue to make that happen. But just even last year alone, in northern India and Nepal, we were able to start 2,500 churches last year. Um, There is something unique that God is doing, and it's fun to be a part of that, isn't it? And uh, guys, you are a part of that. You're a part of that number. We appreciate your support and uh, your, your willingness to be behind the scenes in some of these things. You're making a difference, not only here, in the Phoenix area, but you're making a difference around the world, and and thanks so much for that. I'm really excited to be able to dive into this passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, The imagery of the passage is something that just connects with me personally on on the heart level. Um, The Apostle Paul writes this passage in the the whole epistle, or what we call a letter of 1 Corinthians, to Christians in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth, if you don't know anything about Corinth, Corinth was kind of the center of trade of its time. There were two major harbors that that were there in Corinth. Not only that, all the major trade routes from Europe to Asia came together in Corinth. And so this was a popular place. This is a place that I would describe as a melting pot of cultures. It was a melting pot of religions. And as a result of that, the new Christians and the church in Corinth was struggling finding its identity. They were struggling, and how do we distinguish ourselves from the rest of those that live in our city? And what began to happen was they just went the persecution, the the challenges of truly being a sold-out Christian were just a little overwhelming. And so they began to take little pieces of this, they took a little piece of this, and they kind of mixed it together in kind of what created a a pseudo-Christianity. And so Paul is writing this letter, trying to address them in the way that they're living their lives, saying, hey guys... I know you love the Lord, and I know that you've given up a lot to follow Jesus, but there are some distinguishing marks that should mark who we are now that we are a follower of Jesus. 
and he writes this letter. In doing so, you could kind of say that he's writing perspective on what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really look like from a practical perspective? Yes, we know you're living in freedom, you're living in grace, but what does it mean from a day-to-day perspective, relationships, work, all those different things that can become overwhelming? What does it look like to be a Christian? And so we find this great imagery all throughout the letter of Corinthians with that perspective. If you're here today and you're just kind of sitting wondering, I wonder what it really means to be a Christian today. I highly encourage you to take a moment and read through the entire letter that was written to the Corinthians. And just have a pad of paper out to the side and just begin to make some notes to yourself of, ah, what would this look like today? What does this mean for me? And you'll see this picture begin to come together. Now, when we get to 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uses some real specific imagery to help create this picture of what Christianity should be and what it should look like for us as followers of Christ. And he uses the perspective of athletics to give us this imagery. Because there is something that distinguishes, let's be honest, there is something that distinguishes a weakened warrior from the Olympian, right? If I brought an Olympian up here and stood them next to me, unless they were an Olympian in curling, my guess is you could tell the difference between he and I right away. There are just some distinguishing marks. And so Paul is writing this with an athletic perspective, something that the Corinthians were very familiar with. There is a place of great games. The Olympics were started in Greece. This was a part of their lifestyle. They understood athletics, they understood games, they understood racing, and so Paul begins to give this imagery to that. I love it. Part of the reason I love it is I'm naturally competitive. I'm probably the most competitive person you'll ever meet. I mean, just the way that I state that kind of shows you how mentally ill I really am, right? I'm crazy. It doesn't matter what it is, I'll I'll compete. Um, You have a ball, let's play. Um, Board game, I'm in it. You know, my, my kids ask me to play sorry, I'm in it to win it. And, and my whole perspective is I compete well when my competitor has to run home crying to mommy. Like that, in my mind, then I know I gave it my all, okay? And I know what some of you are thinking is like, man, his poor kids. Um, you know, I, I promise you this, I don't send my kids home crying to their mommy every time we play sorry. Only when we play Yahtzee does that happen. But no, I, I, I am. It, it doesn't matter what age they are. When it comes to a game, I promise you this. I am in it to win it. I just am. It, it's so bad that I compete with myself at times. Like if I go to the grocery store and I have a cart full of stuff, I'll try to find the line that has you know, the least amount of people so I can get through the line the quickest and I'll jump in this line, but I will always place my imaginary self in another line and I will race my imaginary self through the cash register to see which one finishes first. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's you. Now, and it's not a pretty sight if my imaginary self beats me, right? I, like, it'll mess me up for a while. I, I just, that's, that's how mentally ill I am. It doesn't matter what it is. I enjoy it if it's a sporting event. It could be five-year-olds playing soccer to professional sports. I love it. 
And now you're going to go, man, his poor wife. Don't, don't feel sorry for my wife because she's just as competitive as I am. Um, we both took the Clifton Strengths Finders test. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it kind of labels your five top strengths of the way that you operate in the world. Both of us, number one was competition, which makes marriage a whole lot of fun, honestly, because <laughs> we're always trying to compete. But um, the, the interesting thing about it is we have two totally different approaches when it comes to competition. I'm kind of, I told you, I'm kind of in your face. I, I'm going to tell you I'm going to beat you and then, then try to deliver on that. My wife, totally opposite. She will want to do everything she can to beat you, but she'll be your best friend as she does it, which I think honestly is a little worse than, than my, my perspective. At least I tell you up, up front. But uh, coupled that, our, our passions, our competitiveness with some God-given ability allowed us to, to do sports at a pretty high level. Both of us were college athletes. Uh, my wife was a fast-pitch um, softball pitcher in college. Um, my favorite sport that I got to do in college was track and field. And, uh, I, and luckily, God made me fast, so putting those things together you know, worked out pretty well for me. But there was one race that went really bad. I was in college. My specialty in college was I raced the 400 meters, the quarter mile, one lap around the track. And I loved to do that. And I had just, just finished racing the 400 meters, crossed the finish line. And if you know anything about track and field, that's a very difficult race. And you're just spent. And I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. And in that moment, I'm just, just crossed the finish line. My coach comes running up to me. He says, Lee, 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 great race. But, and those are never the words you want to hear. But I need you now to go run the 400 hurdles which in college, the 400 hurdles is the very next event. All I had was the, the women's race before going from where I was to the next race. Now, not only was I exhaust, exhausted, which was a problem, the bigger problem was this, I was not a hurdler. I never hurdled in my life. And yet my coach, for some reason, he said, Lee, Lee, just run really fast in between the hurdles and you'll be fine. I just, I need you to get in the top six. If you get in the top six, we'll, we'll do, it'll help our team. I'm like, coach, you got to be out of your mind, coach. I, I don't know how to do these. And I don't like the idea of running and trying to jump something at full speed that can really hurt if I miss. He said, no, you'll do fine. You'll do fine. Just get in there. And I'm going, you, this is nuts. And I line up and the gun goes off and I'm visualizing like I'm, you know, be smooth, close to the hurdle, just that's not what happened. I get the first hurdle, and instead of just smoothly gliding over the hurdle like everybody else in the race was doing, again, this is college level. I'm like five feet over the hurdle. I mean, it's like run, 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 run. <laughs> Takes three seconds to hit the ground. Then I hit the ground. Then I take off in the next hurdle. <laughs> and by the time I cross the finish line, everybody, not only my own teammates, but everybody in the stands is losing it. They're just laughing hysterically at me. My buddies come from the track team and go, dude, that was the funniest thing we've ever seen. That was amazing. It was terrible. And the reason why it was so bad, it wasn't because I wasn't a good runner. The reason it was bad was because I wasn't a good hurdler. I never hurdled before in my life. I was disciplined. I was very disciplined in running. I was very disciplined in working out. I understood my race, understood. But hurdling, I didn't know anything about it. Which leads me to the main point that I want us to, to take a look at today. 
And it's simply this. Discipline is oftentimes the difference between average and extraordinary. Discipline is oftentimes the difference between just having average walk through life or an average relationship with Jesus from that of extraordinary. We're on the break of a new year, 2016, and when a new year comes, resolutions come right behind it, right? Many of you may be already thinking, you may be planning different resolutions, things that you want to adjust, things you want to adopt to your life to make 2016 a better year than what 2015 was. You know, the common thread between all those resolutions is discipline. It may be for some, you want to lose weight. It may be for others, you want to work out more regularly. Others, it may be something like you want to quit smoking or you want to spend more time with your your family. The common thread that we find through all of those things is discipline. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. I want us to slowly begin to make our way through this, make some observations as we do that today. Follow along with me. It says in verse 24, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Let me stop right there. Paul, here, get this. In one sentence, makes one of the most politically incorrect statements of our time. Do you see what he says? We don't tell our kids this. I mean, my son had a wonderful year of of playing football this past year. Did great. But the team, not so hot. They won a game. That's it. But at the end of the season, what did they get? A trophy. See, we we don't tell our kids this whole idea. That only one receives the prize. Paul says it this way. He says, everybody is running, but only one is actually going to get the prize. Then he calls us to run the race in such a way to win it, to obtain the prize. That verse right there is why, no matter what, when it comes to competing, I'm in it to win it. At least that's what I say. And I've heard it, and, and you've heard it. It's not whether you know how you. It's not whether or not you win or lose, but it's how you play the game, right? You've heard that saying. You know, what my opinion is, a loser is the one that made that statement. They kept losing over and over and over, and they had to figure out a way to make it better for themselves. Because I, I don't play a friendly game of anything. I, I, I really don't. But here's my question. We have this attitude when it comes to many things in our lives. We tell our kids, it, it, what matters most is that you do your best in school, with their chores at home, with homework, with sporting events. But let me ask you this question. What if every one of us right now in this room, that we approached our spiritual life 
like this? What would it do? What if every Christian on the face of the planet decided to approach their spiritual life, their spiritual journey, their relationship with Jesus Christ like this? That they, when it means following Jesus for them, that they're simply saying, you know what? I'm in it to win it. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give all that I have. All my discipline, my heart, my actions, it's going to go towards this. I'm in it to win the thing. And, and it doesn't mean that we're perfect at all. It, it simply means that we're going to be giving our best and that when we commit to something, we're actually going to commit to do everything we can to win it. How many of you right now, and I, I'm, this is rhetorical, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you right now, you want to be a better person? Or maybe you want to be a better parent, a better husband, a better wife? a better employee or a better boss in 2016 than you were in 2015. Look at me for a moment. You know what's going to make the difference? It's not desire. Desire isn't the, the thing that is going to make the magical difference in your life. The thing that's going to make the difference is discipline. Discipline is the thing that's going to get you there. And don't just be content in being in the race. Run to win the race. Now, how do we do that? Paul lays out some ideas here for us on how we can do that. Verse 25 says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Not in some things, not in what he wants to do, but in all things. And then he says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. He, he's, again, using the imagery that these people were very familiar with. That the winner got a small wreath placed on their head. And we've all seen the pictures of what that looked like. And we understand the imagery of that. And he says, they will beat themselves silly. They will watch what they eat. They will train religiously. They will do all these things for what? Just to win something that a week later is going to be dead. He says, as Christians, as those that know Jesus, we have something so much better. We have far more at stake. We're not doing this for something that's just going to perish in a few years. This is something that is imperishable. It's going to last forever. Paul's saying, the athletes then compete for something that isn't going to last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Then he says in verse 26, So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Paul's saying this. He's saying, I have a discipline. I have a plan for discipline in my life. The difference that we have to understand is that the thing that matters the most, the thing that is going to make the difference, isn't trying, but it's training. Trying isn't going to get you there. 
It's training. I mean, let's, let's just say this. What if I told you, as soon as we're done this morning, we're all going to walk outside and we're going to compete in an Ironman? That, you know what an Ironman is? 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then we follow it up with a marathon, 26.1-mile run. Right after church. Meet me out there. Here we go. My guess is pretty much everybody in the room isn't going to make it to the finish. Some of us are going to be carried to the hospital with CPR being done on us, right? It's not going to be pretty. And it isn't that we didn't try. It's we didn't train for it. My guess is that if we came at it totally different and say, hey, let's take the next six months or let's take the next 12 months and we're going to meet back here in a year from now and we're going to compete in a triathlon, an Ironman. I want you to discipline. I want you to watch what you eat. I want you to start training. I want you to run, swim, bike, do all these things. The odds are that some of us actually do a whole lot better than we do if we did it this afternoon. The difference would be we're training, we're training versus just trying. See, trying is doing it when it's convenient for me. Training is I'm going to do it no matter what. Trying is, well, I'll try that if it works out for me in the end. But training is doing it no matter what. No matter the heartache, no matter the challenge, no matter how big it is, I'm going to train to accomplish this. And guys, we love movies have great training scenes in them, don't we? There's just something about them. I mean, I, I think about all the movies out there. There's one movie that stands out the most to me, and you may be thinking about it right now, of, like it has the best sequel of training events in it, and it's Rocky IV. If you know what Rocky IV is, you got Sylvester Stallone, he's Rocky, he's getting ready to fight Ivan Drago, the Russian, you know, and this is this huge pinnacle thing, and you got Rocky goes to Siberia, and he's training out in the middle of snow, and he's cutting wood, and you get done in the movie, you're just like, yeah, right? You know, it just, just something compels you inside, but let's be honest, if you watch that movie, Sylvester Stallone, he is ripped, ripped out of his mind. And I promise you this, he didn't get ripped because he tried it. He did it because he trained for it. Trying isn't going to be enough. Discipline is the thing that takes us from just an average existence or an average walk with Christ to an extraordinary walk with Christ. Let me give you some training tips this morning on things that we need to focus in to go from just an average walk with Christ to experience an extraordinary walk with Christ. Now, there's some basic ones that we may be familiar, if we spend any time in church at all, that you, you've probably heard somebody talked about this. Things like, you need to read your Bible. It's the Word of God. It's active. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It has a way of penetrating our hearts deeply than anything else in existence. And if you're struggling with what do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation or with this relationship? You know what? The answers are here. But oftentimes we don't know what to do because we haven't spent time engaging the Word of God. I can talk to you about the importance of developing a prayer life and just spend time talking with God, but not just you talking, but take time to sit and listen at the feet of God. 
and try to understand what he's doing. And talk to you about the importance of creating a generous lifestyle and, and learning to be a giver than more than you are a taker. And what does it look like to adapt those type of disciplines in your life? Or to simply invest in those that are close to you, relationships. What does it look like for you to invest in the life of your local church? Because these are all very important disciplines that will help move you forward from just an average existence to an extraordinary existence and walk with Christ. But I also want to talk to you about some other things that are kind of unsaid, but they're, they're said here in this passage that I think are important for us to, to pull out. The first thing is this. We need to know the rules of the game. Sometimes when it comes to the way that we walk through life, and I've seen it, you've seen it all around. We see great spiritual leaders, pastors, other people of position, some people that are just closest relationships. They have totally damaged their future because they gave into the moment and weren't disciplined to say no to something that could totally disqualify them. We need to know enough of what's going on. We need to know what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to forgive them and show them grace? What does it mean for me to do this, to love my spouse well, to love my children well, to be a, an employee that's outstanding and truthful? Lest we would disqualify ourselves. The second thing is we need to live on mission. We need to live on mission for Christ. Again, this, this is a training thing. This isn't a, a trying thing. If we're not living on mission as, as the church, and the church isn't the building, the church is us, then we're missing an action. We can't call people up to a life of Christ if we ourselves aren't doing that too. It's about getting to know those that are close to us. Feeling the urgency that hell is a real place. And I love my neighbor enough and I love Jesus enough that I want to I engage in a relationship with the hope that over time and over the investment, they'll come to know who Jesus is. That's why in Converge, we're so passionate about starting and strengthening churches around the world. I believe that the church is the hope of the world because it is the church that carries the life of Jesus into a dying and dark world. And we know through church planting, it is the most effective way of reaching people for Christ. The third thing is, don't do it alone. Have a workout, buddy. Life is hard. It's full of challenges. I mean, my best workouts as an athlete happened because I had somebody there next to me that was pushing me, encouraging me, helping me when I was going, I don't want to do another lap. And they're like, oh, no, come on, we can do it, we can do it. No, I don't know. Yeah. Same thing's true when it comes to our spiritual life. We need people that are going to be walking beside us, encouraging us, guiding us, challenging us, being willing to say the hard thing to help keep us on track. Guys, it is a gift to have a friend in your life that will say the hard thing. Which brings us me to the next thing. It's about knowing your current capacity. Understanding the season of life you're in, the rhythms 
of the life that you're in right now. It's not about giving in the pressure of trying to be somebody that you're not. I've seen so many people in this world derailed because they're trying to be somebody that they're not meant to be. Be the person that God has called you to be, where he's called you to be at, and who he's called you to be. And the last piece is find a trainer. Have a coach. I think one of the dumbest things a person can do in this life is to surround themselves with people that just think the way that they think and will tell them the things that they want to hear. Solomon, the wisest man second to Jesus to ever walk the face of the earth, wrote this when it came about important friends and relationships. He says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. People who love you enough to tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear are invaluable. And then it's about just keeping it going. It's about passing it down the line. It's about investing in that next generation. Who are you investing in? We get to verse 27. Paul talks about why these things matter in our life. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest, get this, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Because I, I got to keep Christ at the center. I got to discipline myself. I train myself to follow him in everything that I do, lest I don't want to do any of this in vain. I'm doing it to win it. There's much at stake. And then Paul helps us see here in the next verse whose responsibility it is when it comes to discipline. Watch this, verse 27. I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Do you see how many times in that one verse the use of personal pronouns? Over and over again in that sentence. I, my, it, I, myself. What's Paul trying to get to here? I think what Paul is trying to help us understand is when it comes to discipline, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. When it comes to moving forward in your walk with Christ, it's your responsibility. It's not something that we pass blame on somebody else. It's not something that we look to and just expect the church to take responsibility for that. Yes, the church is here to help equip you. Pastor Tim is here to, to help teach you and equip you. And what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does that look like practically in our day-to-day -day life? But when ultimately it's your responsibility. I have to be the person that takes responsibility for the discipline in my current life. If we have an excuse for who we are and where we are, you will actually never become the person that God wants you to be.
Our disciplines in our life are the things that make the greatest difference in our life. The things that take us from average to extraordinary. And I'm specifically talking about our walk with Christ. What would make a difference in 2016 in your life? Maybe for some of you, you need a workout buddy. Something that's going to walk beside you, encourage you, guide you, challenge you. Others of you may need a coach. You need a trainer. Somebody that's a little further down the road that sees things even before you see it yourself. For some of you, it may be that you need to grow in knowledge. You just need to spend more time reading the Word and, and understanding, memorizing Scripture, studying this, engaging it, allowing it to penetrate your life at a deeper level. For others of you, it may be, it may be time to make an investment in somebody else, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a child, at a different level than you've made now. What are the things that are going to distinguish you from the rest of the world. That, that's Paul's theme in 1 Corinthians. That we as Christians should have marks that distinguish us from the world around us. And I finish off asking you with this question. What kind of hurdler are you going to be? Are you going to hurdle like me? Or are you going to hurdle like the professional? Guys, with everything you got and everything I have, I beckon you, be in it to win it. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for your incredible goodness, your love for us, that you're a God that is very real and very present. God, I pray that when it comes to how we approach our walk with you, that we wouldn't just be flippant, Lord, that we wouldn't approach it with mediocrity, but we give it everything we got so that you are manifested, you are glorified through us and in us, so ultimately you receive all the glory there is. In your wonderful name, amen.